Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we're going to stick with breastfeeding because there is plenty to say from my guests, Dr. Megan Azad and also Dr. Annika Klopp. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. And today we have a very interesting show. They have done a very interesting piece of research as related to breastfeeding and obesity. And trust me, both of these women have just done a remarkable job with the research that they've conducted, but they've also done a very thorough review of the existing literature about breastfeeding and obesity. And what they really focus on here is separating out human milk from breastfeeding and separating out formula from food. And they've really done a remarkable job. But I think that you will find that even though they are absolutely bona fide, doctorally prepared researchers, they're also very easy to talk to. And uh, I think I think you'll get a lot out of this show. Let me tell you a little bit about each one. Dr. Megan Azad is a, an assistant professor of pediatrics and child health at the University of Manitoba. She holds a Canada Research Chair in Developmental Origins of Chronic Disease, and her research focuses on the role of infant nutrition and gut microbiota in the development of asthma, allergies, and obesity. She co-leads the Canada Healthy Child Infant Longitudinal Development Study, also in Manitoba. Nationally, it follows 3,500 children to understand how early life experiences shape their lifelong health. She directs multiple projects about lactation and infant feeding practices, some that link human milk composition and gut issues with epigenetic profiles and clinical phenotypes. She is also in leadership roles for other organizations, and she's an active member of the Breastfeeding Committee of Canada, the Winnipeg Breastfeeding Network, and the International Society of Research in Human Milk and Lactation. So once again, welcome to Megan. Let me tell you about Dr. Annika Klopp. She is a general pediatrician in both ambulatory care settings and the Winnipeg Children's Emergency Department, as well as a hospital providing inpatient services for children admitted to northern Manitoba, northwestern Ontario, and Nanavut. Her interests include early childhood experiences, especially breastfeeding and also literature, and excuse me, literacy, and their effects in later life. Dr. Klopp completed her undergraduate studies in biology at the University of Northern British Columbia her medical school training at the University of British Columbia, and her pediatric residency at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Klopp has been a Special Olympics coach and a Canadian Red Cross regional member. 
her experiences with Art Days project with a national community brought her new meaning to cultural competency and safety. As a future physician, Annika is keen to continue discovering creative solutions to address health concerns of vulnerable people. So, uh, with no further ado then, I want to talk about this very interesting study. And so I want to start with, I think that I've helped our listeners to understand that this is separating out these issues. So for either of you ladies, tell me, what inspired you to do this study? Um, I think I'll pass that question to Annika. So um, this study, the idea for it really um, came to be several years ago when Annika was doing her residency. Um, And she approached me because um, she knew that I was doing research on breastfeeding. And at the time, I was really um, classifying infants as being exclusively breastfed, partially breastfed or not breastfed. Um, And she came to me with the question about whether it matters um, if Uh an exclusively breastfed baby is getting breastfed. directly fed at the breast or fed pumped milk from a bottle. Um, so maybe she can tell us why she was interested. In Outstanding question. question. Yeah. Annika, tell us. Yeah, so it was actually during my second month of residency, pediatric residency, I was on a neonatal intensive care unit rotation, and the lactation consultant uh, on the ward was speaking about donor breast milk and how amazing it's been shown to be for premature infants. Um, And that's a very processed and pasteurized product, and I was just wondering, well, would it be even better if it wasn't processed and pasteurized? So the, the question actually initially stemmed from donor breast milk in the neonatal ICU setting for premature infants, but it really got me thinking about just, you know, breastfeeding at the breast versus pumped milk in general, and uh, it was pretty serendipitous how Megan and I met, and yeah, it's been been a great journey together. (laughs) And let me be quick to say, I don't know if this is the case in Canada, but certainly here in the U.S., this pump and feed is really quite big here. There are many moms that are doing pump and feed. So uh, this brings me, I guess, to the next question. Uh, I'd like to just talk a little bit about BMI, and, and that is body mass index. Body mass index is a person's weight in kilograms divided by the square of height in meters. And I don't actually know if there's a way to do that in uh, feet and inches. Sorry, Americans, but this is once where I do the metric. And uh, basically, a high BMI can be an indicator of high body fatness. That's what it really amounts to. Uh, BMI can be used to screen for weight categories that may lead to health problems. But in and of itself, it's not diagnostic of the body fatness or the health of an individual. So I would like to know, were you surprised to find in your study that breastfeeding was associated with a lower BMI and the risk of excessive weight gain in the first year? Um, I think I wasn't overly surprised by that finding because it has been shown in quite a few studies that breastfed um, infants go on to have a lower risk of obesity later on, so a lower BMI. Um, Uh It's usually not studied during infancy, so that was something unique about our study. Um, But looking at children um, or even adults, it's been shown in several epidemiologic studies that breastfeeding is associated with lower BMI and lower risk of obesity. Um, So that part was sort of what we expected to find. Yes, I agree. I think that the research to back up the 
the correlation uh, there with the obesity factor is by now pretty strong. I'm aware of about 18 years worth of research that has shown that connection. So it sounds like in that sense, you kind of gave us more of the same information. But it seems to me that where you had something quite different was the dose response. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so many studies will only look at um, breastfeeding versus not breastfeeding, so a yes or no type of variable. Um, but in our study, we had quite detailed information about the duration of breastfeeding, so how many months uh, a baby was breastfed for, um, and also the exclusivity, so whether they were exclusively breastfed or partially breastfed, so receiving either formula or food or a mix of the two along with breast milk or not breastfed at all. And we found a dose response, meaning that um, the association between breastfeeding and a lower BMI was stronger with longer breastfeeding um, or more exclusive breastfeeding. So each additional month, for example, lowered the BMI uh, even more. Now help me with that. Did I just lose you? But I think you're saying that that is related only to the mother's milk, not to the method of feeding um, so the method of feeding is sort of what uh, the next question. Okay. <laughs> um, but at this point, we're just looking at um, breastfeeding, regardless of how it's delivered, the amount of milk um, uh, received, and the duration of continuing to receive breast milk. And the reason I think this is important um, is because there are international recommendations about six months of exclusive breastfeeding. And I think some moms, when they're, they've just got a brand new baby, they might hear that recommendation. Maybe they have to go back to work um, or for a whole host of reasons, they might feel like that's unattainable. Yeah, um, and well, I do think, you know, our data support that six months exclusive breastfeeding is a good way to go. Um, it also shows that six months of partial breastfeeding is beneficial or one month of exclusive breastfeeding is better than none. So really the every feed count uh, counts message is what I like to um, convey to moms who might be seeing that as a, a difficult challenge at first. So in one breath, you would say uh, some breastfeeding is better than no breastfeeding, but yeah. in another breath, you would say more is better, right? Yep, exactly. So some is better okay. than none, more is better. Yeah. Okay. All righty. And I, I would agree with you. It seems to me that very few res research studies have made this as a, an important distinction uh, and I don't know, I might, I might be wrong on my dates, but it just feels to me like it's been almost two decades or maybe more that we've had the basic information and you've really done more with it. So it, in the first year of life, or at least in the early years, a good indicator of whether a person might experience obesity, is isn't a good indicator of whether that person will experience obesity later in life. Um, it's one indicator. Certainly, obesity okay. is a multifactorial problem, so there sure. are many issues contributing. Uh, but breastfeeding in our study was strongly associated with the risk of obesity in the first year of life. And I think um, some people might ask, well, what does it really mean to be obese or overweight at one year of age? Um, but actually, there are good data from other studies, and we're starting to generate those um, in our cohort as well as the kids get older, that being um, overweight or having a high BMI even at one year of age uh, tends to track into later childhood and then adulthood. So it's an important marker in early life of obesity risk. There are certainly other things that contribute, especially as the kids get older, um, depending on their diet quality, physical activity. There are many things that are going to play a role, but we do see a really strong um, association with breastfeeding in early life. When, when you say early life, that conjures up in my mind at least the first couple of years. Uh, but I want to ask Annika a question. 
I interacted with the baby just a few nights ago, a few days ago, that uh, the baby had, the baby was born at seven and a half pounds, and he weighed 13 pounds, three ounces, two months later. That seemed to me like a very lot, uh, a lot of velocity of weight gain. And I'm sorry, I cannot immediately translate that into metric for you. Uh, but seven and a half pounds would be like in the 3,800 uh, grams neighborhood, I believe. So my question to you is this. If they gain a lot even in the first few months, is that predictive of obesity? Or does, or does that seem normal to you? I, I guess I have a question for you. Was that baby bottle or breastfed? Well, he got his mother's milk, but it was with... Oh, okay. Milk. I see. I see. <laughs> um, yeah. So typically, I, I um, for, for babies who are directly being breastfed, so nursing, um, I say there's no such thing as really overfeeding a baby. Um, I think Megan's study uh, on obesity really highlighted that we're dif there were differences between um, nursing and feeding uh, expressed breast milk. I, I don't like to draw those sort of big conclusions early on. I like to track weight velocity over that first year of life. Um, but, I mean, there, Megan's study was yeah, very, um, sorry, I'll have to pause my answer. I, I didn't actually, I mean, I've read <laughs> Megan's study, but um, I, was, I didn't participate in her, um, in sort of the conduction of that study. But, um, so maybe I'll fast, I'll rewind my, my statement. Could you pose That's it one okay. more time, Marie? Of course, of course, of course. Well, um, I would just like listeners to realize that the sooner for any health issue that we have, the sooner that we are aware of those things, the more control that we have over it. And we certainly know, as you just implied, Annika, that uh, a breastfed baby will absolutely self-regulate. Whether or mm -hmm. not a bottle-fed baby does, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. 
In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here today talking with researcher Megan Azad and also pediatrician Dr. Annika Klopp and we're talking about the differences in mother's milk versus giving the baby the uh, the milk by bottle and formula versus food. So in looking at the study, and I have read it, and it's quite interesting, tell us, does this study suggest more about the benefits of the mother's milk, or is it really just emphasizing the inadequacies of formula? Uh, good question. You know, I think it's a bit of both. I think the fact that in the study we saw um, the most beneficial outcomes, so the healthiest weight gain trajectories and the healthiest body mass index scores with exclusively breastfed babies who were fed at the breast um, tells you that there's something optimal, which should be no surprise, about right. mother's milk fed at the breast. Um, we found the highest BMI Z scores and the highest risk of overweight in the formula-fed babies. And then we found something intermediate in those who are receiving a mix of the two, um, and even intermediate still in babies who only receive their mother's milk but from a bottle. So to me, this is saying that there's something unique about mother's milk and the way that you feed it. Um, So we think that babies who are getting um, breast milk from a bottle are not, they're getting the mother's milk, but they're not necessarily getting all of the active components. It's possible those components are degraded when milk is pumped and frozen and stored. Um, And they're also not learning self-regulation is another hypothesis. So a baby feeding at the breast will stop when it's full. A baby getting milk in a bottle won't. Um, So for sure, I think there's an element of the components of milk. That's a whole other aspect to my research program. And I could talk at length about that, but all (laughs) the cool things that are in breast milk. Um, So I think there's something very special there and it's something that could never be 
replicated in a formula. Um, even if we knew and could synthesize all the things in human milk, which which we don't at this point, even if we did, you know, formula is one size fits all. So the, the milk yes. that one mom is making is different from the milk another mom is making. And the milk that one mom is making today is different from the milk she's going to make tomorrow or a week from now. Um, yeah. So there's definitely something uh, very uh, unique and important about mother's milk. Um, if you want to flip that, I think it's really two sides of the same coin and talk about deficiencies of formula. I mean, formula um, can never replicate mother's milk. It's improving all the time. The more we learn about human milk, the more we can improve on formulas. But again, they're always going to be one size fits all, um, more or less. And we know that we just, we can't replicate. Um, there are additives we're always putting in, but things like stem cells that are found in mm, human milk are never yes. going to be in formula, right? Well, I feel really compelled to clarify something that I find people, including professionals, I have literally rooms full of people who are sitting in my comprehensive lactation course or they're sitting in my lactation review course. These are people that have been out in practice for 10 or 20 or more years and really don't fully grasp the idea that human milk has the nutrient components. And by nutrients, I mean things like fats, carbohydrates, um, Protein. proteins, um, micronutrients, etc. But it also has the bioactive factors. And that's the part that people don't really understand that, that we can't, uh, you know, honestly, if you were comparing the nutrient part of human milk to formula, it's certainly not as good, but it's actually quite good. Whereas, it's, it's easier to argue that there's no comparison because as far as I'm aware of, formula has no bioactive factors whatsoever. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, some of the newer ones are starting to include maybe probiotics, um, oh, different right. enzymes, True. but certainly yeah. no match to human milk. No match. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't want somebody to write me a nasty gram saying that I put a, a human milk and formula uh, on the same par. I don't, but I think that that comparison in one case is, you know, there it's possible to compare, whereas in the other case, it's not even possible to compare. And could you talk a little bit about, please, uh, gut health? Sure. So, um, the gut microbiome refers to the trillions of bacteria uh, that live in and on our bodies. Um, most of them are living in our guts or intestinal tract. Um, and those bacteria are really important. Um, so this is a kind of revelation in the last 10 or 20 years. We used to always think of bacteria as things that make us sick. Um, but we're learning that most of the bacteria living in our bodies are actually helping to keep us healthy. So they do things like helping us digest um, components of food that we can't digest on our own. Um, so fiber. They also help train the immune system, which is really important, especially in babies. Um, and they make certain vitamins that we can't synthesize ourselves. So they're really important for many functions. And these uh, gut microbiomes or gut bacteria are established very early in life, um, starting with when we're born. So we get our first dose of bacteria uh, from the vaginal canal when we're born. And then we get our second dose of bacteria from breast milk. Um, so that's why we think it's so important uh, to understand the components of breast milk and how they influence the microbiome. 
By the way, we know that we could have one whole show on that, but since of course. <laughs> but since you mentioned it and since you're passionate about that, I felt that we really needed to address that. All right. So were you surprised to find that expressed milk from the bottle has a weaker benefit when compared with the breast milk directly from the breast? I think, Annika, would, would you say it's fair to say we were both surprised and had to crunch uh-huh. the data many different ways before we'd believe it? Oh, tell us, tell us. Yeah, no, we were for sure surprised. I mean, it was our, it was my hypothesis, um, but then to actually see the data, we did <laughs> sort of second guess things and, and run it different ways and, and uh, you know, look back at literature. So it, it was a, it was our hypothesis, but it, it, ultimately it, it was a bit of a surprise. I think um, one reason it's surprising is that there isn't that much literature on it. You know, we found one or two papers. Actually, the initial project that we worked on uh, with Annika was to look at asthma as an outcome. Um, And so we saw similar findings there where um, expressed milk uh, in a bottle was not as beneficial as feeding it at the breast for asthma. Um, And then sort of similar idea with obesity and weight gain. Um, I think another reason it was surprising to me is that in our study, which is Canadian women um, who all have year-long maternity leaves for the most part, Um, we don't have that much pumping going on. So our group of babies who are getting pumped milk, they're just getting some pumped milk for the most part. um, And we don't have the most granular data on this, but I would, my um, intuition is that almost none of them are getting exclusively pumped milk. So the real effects of having only pumped milk are probably uh, underestimated in this study because we don't have babies getting exclusively pumped milk. I know that is much more common in the U.S. Um, So the fact that we saw this um, signal that was significant, even from babies who were just getting some pumped milk, um, tells me that it's a really important factor to be studied. Yes. And by the way, I would just like to say that at least in my experience here in the U.S., there are mothers who are doing exclusive pump and feed, even though they either aren't going to work or they're not going back to work right now. In other words, that mother is with that baby 24 hours a day and they're still doing pump and feed. So anytime you want to come to the U.S. and do your your research, I think we've got plenty of people uh, for you. So... I'm finding it difficult to sort of make this connection because I'm thinking, okay, if the milk is in the bottle, I understand the whole self-regulation of intake. I So that to me intuitively transfers to, okay, fits with obesity. You take in too much food, you have too many calories, you gain a lot of weight. But the asthma piece, I'm really having trouble figuring out. If the milk is as wonderful as we say it is, why should it matter whether it's in the bottle or where it is? Do do these components break down? I mean, I can see, I know, for instance, that vitamin C is very fragile, something like that. You put it in the refrigerator, I get that. But, But asthma, help me with this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great question. And, and that's sort of where the sort of donor breast milk and how, you know, it's pasteurized process came from. So my theory sort of was the expression and storage of it. So the freezing and then thawing of the milk must be or could be, I guess, potentially altering these bioactive components. So there is there are some studies that showed that freezing and processing human milk uh, diminishes the antioxidant properties, uh, vitamin oh, levels, true. reducing right. the immunoglobulin A activity. Um, but right. that's just one of a, of a couple proposed mechanisms as to how um, they could be different. Um, in my study, like like you mentioned, it was looking at asthma particularly. Um, 
So the the physical act of breastfeeding um, has been shown to increase lung volume. So that was one postulated mechanism as to why the two might be different. Um, And then uh, there is thought that there's a sort of bi-directional transfer of properties between mom and baby when nursing, um, and so that there's this increased immune response in the lactating mother that leads to a transfer of protective factors to her, uh, to her offspring, which you wouldn't see in a, in a case where the baby's getting expressed breast milk. I guess the other I'm, one that we had... Yes? I, I'm, I'm lost. If, if the mother is lactating, she's lactating. Why, why would her immune system behave differently? So the thought is that there is this, so a bidirectional transfer of properties between baby, so baby saliva, uh, and then mum, which you wouldn't get from pump, uh, you know, interacting with the breast, but you would get from baby interacting and nursing at the breast. Okay. All right. Yes. It's really neat. So if the baby is sick, for example, then there's components in the saliva that will signal this to the mother and her milk composition will change. Change. She'll, you know, ramp up her antibody production or something. Um, And so this will be most beneficial for the infant. And so you don't have that in a pump scenario. Yes. Okay. I was aware of the part about the saliva, but I've never heard it called bi-directional whatever you just said. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just that it's going two ways. We know mom is giving milk to the baby, right? But actually baby is signaling back to the mom signaling. Okay. All right. Well, I really like that. Uh, I hope that everyone who's listening is as fascinated as I am because you ladies have a lot to say about this topic. So, hey, everyone, don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto, and we are talking about human milk, formula, food, putting mother's milk in a bottle, pasteurized milk, and just about everything else here (laughs) as related to this research study that is quite fascinating. So, uh, Megan, I think this one's for you. Can you help us to understand the relationship between the prebiotic sugars that feed the uh, baby's gut bacteria and how that relates to the freezing and pasteurization? Sure. So these prebiotic sugars are called human milk oligosaccharides or HMOs, and they are present in milk. So all mammals make oligosaccharides in their milk. Um, but they're very species specific, which is, I think, what makes them so fascinating. So, for yes. example, mice make two different oligosaccharides. Um, cows make about 40 different oligosaccharides. And, of course, formula is made from cow's milk. Um, right. But humans make over 100 different oligosaccharides. Wow. Um, and so this tells you that milk is is special for each species, right? And these, it turns out, we've, we've known about these oligosaccharides for a long time. But for a while, it was quite a mystery what they were for because um, actually babies don't digest these oligosaccharides. Um, And so it turns out that although the baby is not digesting them, the baby's gut bacteria are digesting the oligosaccharides. So they're essentially prebiotics for gut bacteria. And so with the um, boom in research around the microbiome lately, there's all of a sudden a huge interest in milk oligosaccharides and how they've been essentially designed or evolved um, to feed uh, gut bacteria in infants. Uh, And I guess the reason that relates to sort of what we're talking about today, it's one of the components of human milk that's uh, very important for health. Oligosaccharides, interestingly, are one of the most robust components in milk. So they actually withstand freezing and pasteurization. So they're one of the things um, that are still present in something like donor milk that's been pasteurized, Um, whereas other components like um, immune cells, stem cells, enzymes might be denatured by those processes. Yes, absolutely. I, I would agree. All right, so how influential are infant feeding practices in terms of child development and a long-term health? Because so far, we've kind of been talking about the here and the now, but what about the long-term health? 
Yeah. Um, so I'll let Annika touch on this one too as the pediatrician, but from my research perspective, um, we've in this study looked at BMI and weight gain in the first year, so fairly short term. Um, but we know that those are measures that track later into childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. So a baby who's got a high BMI is more likely to be a child and then an adolescent and an adult with a high BMI. Um, similarly for uh, wheezing and asthma, we've looked at associations in infancy, but those are wheezing as a baby is a risk factor for asthma later on. Um, and our gut microbiome, breastfeeding is very important for setting that up in the right way early on. Um, and the microbiome, you know, uh, for the rest of our lives plays an important role in different aspects of health. Yeah, this is so fascinating. And Annika, you probably have something to add to that. Yeah, Megan touched on it with the asthma piece. Uh, the one neat thing about the child study is that uh, it is longitudinal and we're still collecting data. Uh, so we are hoping to look at things again at five years and beyond. Uh, so time will tell, but I think we will uh, continue to see effects down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this study, um, you know, the same kids that we studied at a year and three years of age in Annika's study are actually now turning eight. So we're starting to see them all again. We'll be reassessing their um, anthropometrics, so their body composition. We'll be reassessing their lung function. And we're starting to look at other things um, like neurodevelopment and behavior. So uh, lots more interesting uh, data to come out of the child study as the kids grow up. So help me with this. Some time ago, one of my dietitian friends sort of warned me that we could not say that an obese kid will grow up to be an an obese adult. Well, excuse me. No, that's not what she said. Um, She warned me that we could not say that uh, the, the breastfeeding will cause you to be an obese, uh, uh, well, formula feeding will cause you to be an obese uh, adult. She said, what we can say is that formula is more related to becoming a fat kid, and fat kids are known to grow up to be fat adults. So in other words, she was really emphasizing to me that there needed to be that in-between step, if you will. So are we still there? Or does your research help us to understand that that step might not be as big as we think it is? Um, Well, this particular study is focused on the first year of life. Um, We are, as I mentioned, continuing to follow the child kids. So I think um, we'll be able to contribute more to the long-term outcomes um, in the future. I think that... um, Yes, so a baby is consuming formula or an individual is consuming formula in infancy. Um, So to make that step and call it a cause and effect association to link with adult obesity um, can be a challenge. I think we get uh, more able to do that with prospective longitudinal studies like the child study. If you simply um, survey a group of adults um, and find that the obese adults were more likely to have been formula fed in a retrospective manner, there are challenges with interpreting data um, in that type of design. Okay. Now, I think I know the answer to this, but I doubt that our listeners do. And that is the amount of calories per ounce or the amount of calories per deciliter or whatever you want to say, honestly, between mother's milk and formula milk is really not all that different. So, How can you explain to parents that, yeah, formula kids are going to be fatter when they come back and say, well, aren't the calories about the same? The answer is, well, yeah, sort of. Uh, Annika, how do you handle that in in clinical practice? 
No, that's a great question. I think that comes back to the the self-regulation piece that we've talked about earlier. Um, Uh It's just much more easy for for babies to regulate themselves breastfeeding than it is to be bottle fed. Um, That's sort of, I think, because you're right, I mean, you look at the bottle and then you talk about kill cows per ml um, or kill cows per ounce, and they are pretty much identical. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I do try to highlight the self-regulation differences. Yeah, and I would also say I cannot imagine how many hundreds, thousands of babies I've fed. My inclination is to always get that baby to finish the bottle. It's, you know, the clean plate syndrome early in life, you know. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think that parents have that tendency as well. Uh, Megan, you were about to say something before I interrupted. Yeah, no, I mean, the the, the energy content um, is equivalent, and so it should be because formula is made to match human milk as closely as possible, so they have the same energy content. Um, but like you both have just said, it's about the self-regulation, the amount of uh, milk that's being consumed is contributing to the total amount of calories, right? And that's where the differences lie. There was also an interesting study recently um, where they uh, looked at uh, parents preparing uh, bottles of formula and even though the directions are there and they thought they were doing oh. it right, there is a tendency to make yeah. more, you know, add more than you're supposed to. So yes. both from the uh, aspect of preparing the formula to then having the finish the bottle syndrome, those babies can end up consuming more calories overall. And also I think the microbiome comes into play here because mm. um, formula and uh, breast milk are going to uh, stimulate and foster a different composition in the gut microbiome. And that microbiome is important in terms of extracting energy from food and contributing to weight gain. So um, in babies as well as adults, two people consuming the exact same food could gain or lose different amounts of weight because their gut bacteria are extracting different amounts of food. So that also comes into play. Yeah, you know, I was thinking as you were talking about the preparation of the uh, formula, Sarah Fine's study was not the first one, but it was one of the earlier studies, and it has to be, oh, gee, 15 or 20 years old by now. And what she showed was that even when parents understood how the directions for how to do it, they simply did it differently. And I noticed that even in my house, who scoops the ice cream or who scoops the coffee? <laughs> you know, it's... Men tend to be different than women, just as something as simple as that, you know. So th- there's so much to say here. Uh, also, before we go to break, I think that we all have heard about these, quote, benefits of breastfeeding or hazards of formula. But from your study, are there any in particular that you would like to highlight? And could you, by all means, make the connection for us to type 2 diabetes? Um Wow. So yes, there are uh, many benefits to breastfeeding for short-term and long-term health, um, both in children, uh, but also in mothers. I'm not sure if that's where you're going with the diabetes, but I think that's one thing that's often forgotten, which is that there are many benefits to infants and um, children from being breastfed, but there are also a whole host of benefits to the mothers. So moms who breastfeed have lower rate of type 2 diabetes later on, um, breast cancer as well. And these are benefits that Again, even if we could, which we can't, make the perfect formula for babies, um, this would do nothing um, for the mothers, right? Um, If they're not lactating, then they're not getting those benefits. So I think that's something that's also um, often forgotten and underappreciated with regards to breastfeeding and lactation. 
Yes, I think that we've done a yeoman's job of talking about how beneficial it is to babies. Then somewhere along the line, we started talking about, oh, yeah, it's it's good for mothers, too. And then somewhere it was, hey, how about for society? And we could talk all day long about the economics to it and the um, use of healthcare facilities and return pediatrician visits and everything else. Uh, so true. But anyway, hey, everybody, don't go away. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I have just a few follow-up questions before we go home today. And that is about, uh, this is really great, all that you have taught us today that we've learned, understood, marveled at. But there are some women who, for one reason or another, truly, physiologically, cannot breastfeed. So, what about the, these mothers? Given this study that suggests benefit when compared with formula, uh, should these mothers be worried, or what would be your message to them? Uh, so I can start. I think um, one thing this research does is it raises some important questions for further research, um, and these are important for moms who can't or don't breastfeed. So one is um, if you are going to be feeding uh, formula from a bottle, what's the best way to do that? So um, we're seeing it from our study that actually no matter what's in the bottle, there's an issue, right? And so that tells you that there's something about the way that we feed babies. And so it's possible to learn more responsive feeding styles. um, And that's something that could help all babies. So I think that's one for sure. Um, From moms who are going to be feeding pumped milk, you know, if they don't have a choice, they have to be back at work. Um, I think that's also an important segment of the population to think about. And in that case, I think same thing. We can think about better ways to feed from a bottle, but also we can try and think about better ways to store and handle pumped milk. Um, So our study raises the question, um, provides some evidence that pumped milk is not the same or not equivalent to feeding at the breast. So we can do more research in terms of how do we store it um, in the best way. Oh, I would totally agree with that. And I, you know, honestly, you've just given me a wonderful opportunity to talk about something that th- this could be another whole show, but I'll just put in my my digs here about paste bottle feeding, or actually you can do paste feeding with any other uh, alternative feeding mechanism. But, but truth of the matter is that sometimes we just don't talk about that. And I really think that it's one of those uh, techniques that's very simple to learn and uh, I just think w- that we don't think about that enough uh, so anyway yeah anything else that you'd like to add there about uh, well for example uh, any more to say about the storage of milk I, uh, I mean as far as clinically goes I mean I, I think my perspective has changed a lot since being out in practice and seeing a lot of moms struggle and the postnatal uh-huh. period and also becoming a mother myself and and breastfeeding um, so and then and mom guilt is a really real thing um, and so I really tend not to get you know hung up or spend too much time counseling moms who are pumping or providing formula for truly legitimate reasons and I do try sure. to put more of my efforts uh, in anticipatory guidance for moms who are I mean, for example, expressing, like providing expressed breast milk because they like to see the volumes. Like that's a very common, oh, yes. a common yes. cause uh, for moms to pump uh, exclusively uh, because they just don't know, they don't like the feeling of not knowing what their child yep. is getting and they want to feel, a little, I think, a little bit more in control and know, you know, X is going in. So um, for those moms, that's where I do try to, you know, fall back on, on our research and say, you know, let's look at weight and let's look at other measures um, and really try to focus on, you know, encouraging that mom to, 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 to nurse and feed directly from the breast. But, yeah, it yeah. Is, it's a really tricky discussion and a, and a bit of a, a dance sometimes to, yeah, it's, it's a touchy subject. Um, and I really try to, um, yeah, like I said, highlight um, the pro 
pros of, of direct breastfeeding, uh, particularly in scenarios where um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very doable thing. Oh, can I put you on the spot here? I, I need this vocabulary myself because I, I have a tough time, I guess, saying to mothers, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the same, but it's not really the same. So what do you list in just simple mom language for the pros to putting baby at breast? Because I can hear the mother saying that then she has to be at the baby's beck and call. Well, yeah, kind of you do. But how do you list the pros? Well, this time of year is easy for me to <laughs> to have this discussion because it's <laughs> cold and flu season, and I really uh-huh. try to highlight the immune properties. Um, you know, uh, so it, talking about microbiome stuff is over a lot of people's yes, heads, yes, um, but I sometimes draw, <laughs> you know, relations to yogurt and how that's been shown to be helpful for gut health. Um, okay. But it, it can be a very tricky discussion, and uh, I try to play up the pros and not the cons, but uh, sure. yeah, it's it's tricky. It is, it is, because here's mm-hmm. the other thing. I'm good at telling mothers that they can do whatever they want to, it's their baby, but on the other hand, I kind of, <laughs> it just seems to me like it's a lot of extra work, if nothing else. Um, you've still got to do all of the bottle washing and the nipple washing and on and on and on, and uh, it's yeah, I saw, I saw a poster the other day, breast milk, it's the ultimate travel food. Like, it's always oh, there, it's it. always ready, you don't have to fuss. So I think that's a definite pro um, yeah. that can be highlighted. Yeah, some time ago I wrote an article called something like uh, the original fast food. Maybe I need to dig up that blog. I haven't seen that in a while, but, you know, really it is. Ladies, before we check out today, anything else that you would like to study? uh, No, (laughs) I'm sure there's lots of things you want to study. (laughs) But anything else that you'd like to add to kind of some take-home messages here? Um, I think uh, a take-home for moms, again, is that uh, every feed counts, so breastfeeding is important. It's the ultimate superfood. It's personalized for your baby, so that's best whenever possible, Um, and every feed counts. And I think um, in terms of research-wise, there's lots more to be done. Like any good study, it kind of raises more questions than it answers, so we're excited to be um, following the kids as they grow in the child study to understand what the long-term implications are of feeding practices. Um, and to keep studying uh, the milk itself to understand what these important components are. Yes, I uh, absolutely agreed. Annika, how about you? Yeah, just lastly, I guess that it is a societal, breastfeeding is a societal responsibility. Um, and especially in the US, US it does, uh, uh, should be a little bit more supported by government initiatives. Um, so it's not just on mums, it's on all of us to really support breastfeeding. Yeah, that's yeah. an excellent point. I think it's really not only on the moms, it's a, a societal responsibility. And I think Annika and I had the conversation once we had these findings, we go, we know how much effort it is for a mom to pump milk. But we, the last thing we want is for her to feel like it's not good enough and the right. effort's not worthwhile. Right. So I sure. think we did see the pump milk was better than formula. So that's number one. And then secondly, to try and put that on um, governments and institutions to have policies that will support moms to be able to feed and not just give them a pump. Yeah, and I think I want to add one more thing. Society is not just government. Uh, We just had a 
a show last week where we talked about critical relatives. And relatives are very critical at the holidays. And so I would just like to remind everybody that you may not be the government, you may not be the policymaker, you may not be the mother, but if you are the great aunt Ethel or whoever, <laughs> the, 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 the friend next door, whoever you are, uh, I have never seen a breastfeeding mother who gets enough positive uh feedback about what a great job she's doing. And so I think that that time definitely is here for all of us. And we all need to make that uh, effort, certainly for any mother that we are in contact with. So uh, that's about it for today. And I would like to thank our guests today, uh, researcher Dr. Megan Azad, and also pediatrician Dr. Annika Klopp for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Thank us. you, Marie. Alrighty, and before we go today, I have just a couple of important things I would like to say, and that is, for if you are listening, just remember that if you're enjoying this podcast, please spread the word. You already know how important it is to rate and review and share. So if you think other people would enjoy the show as much as you do, please think about taking just a couple of minutes to give us a rating on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. And then I would also like to tell you, I always have a blog that goes with all of these podcasts. Sometimes it's my take on one particular aspect. Sometimes it's a mini summary. It's always something different. And sometimes it's kind of a little offbeat, actually. So please visit me at my blog. It's mariebiancuso.com. Again, that's mariebiancuso.com, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O. And then just remember, I'll see you next week. And in the meanwhile, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 